Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Cheryl Jefferson Bell, one of the pastors here. And as we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our passage today is from Psalm 78, verses six and seven. God commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know his commands, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. growing up, one of my favorite songs was the 1968 hit song by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Teach Your Children Well. I wonder how many of you know that song. And I, I loved it then. I love it now. I thought you might enjoy hearing just a little bit of it. This is from 1970 when just Crosby, Stills, and Nash sang it together. Take a listen and pay attention to its words. You who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. And so, become yourself, because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well, cause their father's hell did slowly go by. And feed them on your dreams, the one they fix. One you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you And the song goes on in the second half of the song It switches gears and so instead of parents teaching their children well it becomes grown children teaching their parents well and feeding them on their dreams and 
It's about generations sharing wisdom with one another. Now, the backstory to the song is really fascinating. So it was Graham Nash who wrote it. He used to sing with the Hollies and, and he started it, I think it was probably in early 1967 maybe when he was with the Hollies. And then he stopped, he didn't, he didn't write any more on it. Then he came to America, he was uh, in 1968, 67, 68, he was uh, asked to loan a photograph that he owned to a gallery, I think it was in California. And this photograph became a very famous photo. He was a photograph collector and a photographer himself. And it was of a kid in Central Park, just a, I don't know, 10 years old maybe. And he was clutching a plastic hand grenade. It was one of his toys. And he was clutching it and he was frustrated. And Diane Arbus took the photograph, said, can I take your picture and took a number of photos. But this one with a sort of grimacing look on his face was the one that everyone came to know. And, uh, and this was the photo Graham Nash owned. And he loaned it to this gallery in California. And they set it up in the gallery next to, uh, next to another uh, photo. I think it was by Albert Newman uh, called Alfred Krupp or Krupp, Alfred Krupp. And Alfred Krupp was a German industrialist during World War II who ran factories that employed slave laborers and he treated his employees terribly. Some were killed under his watch and, uh, and he was using them to enrich himself while he was serving the Nazi war regime. And afterwards he was put in prison for a couple of years. After that, he got out and he started going back to work. And, and there was a photo, this very famous photo taken of him that makes him look pretty sinister. He didn't realize he was gonna look so sinister, but, but these were put juxtaposed to next, to next to each other. Take a look. And when Graham Nash saw these two photographs, he saw the man who probably started off as a boy and became you know, a, a, a cruel tyrant in industry in Germany. And then this boy who was frustrated playing with can grenades, this is, what, this is his comment. He said, I realized right there that we had better start teaching our children better. Otherwise civilization was in jeopardy. Teaching our children better, teaching them the road they ought to live by, right? That's what the song is about. Today, what we wanna talk about is that God has given an, a mandate. In fact, this month, we're gonna be focusing our attention on this mandate that God has given to us to pass on our faith to future generations. And they, in turn, are gonna care for the existing generations as we get older. But this idea of passing on the faith from generation to generation. Our theme scripture throughout this is a psalm, Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 is a song, and is a song which calls us to pass on our faith, to teach our children well. Let me remind you of the words once more. God commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know his commands and even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God. The psalmist notes that after that, all of the things that God had done and, and you, know, you need to remind your children of this, you need to teach them this so that they might know how they're meant to live their lives. And, and in so many ways, this teach your children well is captured in this psalm and four or five others just like it. Throughout the scriptures we find, God commands Moses to tell the children of Israel, teach your children the things that I've taught you. Remind them of what God has done for you. Jesus takes the children upon his knee and he says, you know, he says, let the little children come to me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. We have this mandate to pass on our faith. And here's why it's so important in scripture is if we don't pass on our faith to our children, we don't share with them who God is and what God has done, with, done for us and, and, and who we're meant to be as human beings, our faith dies out. It's been said that, that faith is, uh, is something that within a generation or two can become extinct if we don't learn how to share our faith with our children. Teach your children well. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to begin by sharing with you some bad news, and then we're going to turn to some good news. The bad news is meant to raise your level of urgency, the sense of the importance of ministry with children and with youth and with young adults. That's going to be the driving passion this month is to say we have got to do a better job of caring for, ministering with, coming alongside, and being the church for children, youth, 
and adults. So I want to start with some statistics around that. Then we're going to turn to some cool things that are happening here at Resurrection and what you were already doing and some amazing things that are taking place here. And then finally, I'm going to invite you to be a part of this effort this month for us to make sure that we are being a church that is passing on our faith from generation to generation. So I wanna begin with some statistics. It's hardly a week goes by that we are not hearing about the decline in religion in America. This is one of the charts from 2021. Uh, this is from the Pew Research Center. And, uh, and I just want you to notice that in 1972, 90% of people in America claimed to be Christians. Come over to the year Church of the Resurrection started and there was a little bit of a blip. It was probably 92% of people claiming to be Christians in the year 1990 when we started the church. I want you to notice what happened after that. Uh, it declined and then leveled off. And then the steep decline that's happened since then. And today, according to two different studies, 63% of Americans claim to be Christians. I mean, that's a radical decline, 30 percentile decline from 92% when we started the church to 63% today. What's happening? Then I want you to notice this. This is what's happening. Uh, this is not people converting to other religions from Christianity. These are people in other religions. And there's been a slight growth from 5% to 7% and in one survey, 6%. This is primarily by people who are immigrating to the United States. It's not that people are leaving the faith for another faith. It's that people have decided to leave the faith for no faith. They are religiously unaffiliated. 5% of people in 1972 religiously unaffiliated. 600% increase in that. 29% of the people today claim to be religiously unaffiliated. If you go into younger generations, you're gonna find 48% of Gen Z are religiously unaffiliated. Those are today's teenagers. You're gonna find that 44% of young adults, millennials are religiously unaffiliated. What has happened? And we've gotta ask that question. We've gotta understand that because somewhere we have missed passing on the baton of our faith from one generation to the next. So there's one more stat I wanna show you. And this is, uh, this is a survey that was done looking at how teenagers, how important religion is to teenagers. In 1977, 12% of 12th graders, so this is the seniors, 12% of seniors in 1977 said, religious is, religion is not important to me at all. I want you to notice what happened by 2021, and that is 29% of, of high school seniors said religion is not important at all. It's not even like it's nominally important. It's not important at all to me. And we see the same trend happening with eighth graders and with 10th graders. So... Again, the question is, what's going on and what are we going to do about it? I want to remind you that most people make a faith commitment when they're between the ages of four and 18. And that happens typically in church. And so if kids are not in church, they're not making that faith commitment during that period of time. But most people make their first faith commitment between the ages of four and 18. But it's also important to know that 70% of people who leave church, who leave religion behind, do so before the age of 19, so up to age 18. And we find a radical increase in the number of people who are walking away from their faith in this time period, uh, starting in middle school. So people start leaving church, or at least they're not leaving church. Sometimes they still go to church because their parents make them go, but they start walking away from their faith in middle school, and it accelerates in high school and in the first four years of college. And then after that, it, it remains pretty level. That's what we see in the surveys today. So 12% of high school, high school students who said religion wasn't important at all in the past, today, 28% of people saying the same thing. Why are they leaving? Well, there was a book written earlier this year, came out earlier this year, uh, by a couple of evangelical pastors, and they, they began surveying these young people, trying to understand the question. The book was called The Great Dechurching. And so they surveyed these folks who had gone to church, but then they became de-churched. They dropped out of church and they wanted to know what were the reasons why you stepped away from church. And interestingly, and sadly enough, 68% of them said their parents played some role in that. 
And, and when you look to see what role their parents played, it wasn't that my parents made me go to church. It's that I didn't like the church they were making me go to. I didn't like the religion as I saw it in their own lives. And so they were hearing, you know, one message at church and that message might've disconnected with them, but they also sometimes saw their parents living something different when they were at home. And so these were, these were uh, five of the responses, five of the top responses for why people, these de-church people left the church. Listen to this. The first one is in their church, their, their home, their, their family, there was an emphasis on the culture war issues. And often those cultural war issues that the parents were really passionate about, or maybe the pastor was passionate about, or the church was passionate about, were the opposite of the values of these young people. So if we think about the rise of the religious right and we think about some of the, you know, some of the issues in those culture wars or even on the far left, we think about some of those issues. But mostly with those young adults, they were saying that the issues that were most important in some of their churches on the religious right were issues that had alienated these young people. The second, listen to this, a lack of love, joy, gentleness, kindness, and generosity. And I'm quoting from this, a lack of love, joy, gentleness, kindness, and generosity in their families, from their parents, or from their parents' church. Can you imagine that? that young people were leaving church because they found there was a distinct lack of these things, which are the fruit of the spirit. We should all be exemplifying or an inability or unwillingness to listen to young people or the inability to engage with other viewpoints. This was true of their churches and it was true of their parents. And then finally, the church's racial attitudes or actions. These all came up as critical issues where they said, I don't connect with my church and you got to remember, younger generations today, they are living in a time where, uh, where they are the most diverse generations in the history of America. And so what they feel when they come to church, sometimes what they see on the chancel or the platform, sometimes the way people talk about things, racial issues or bigotry in society, and the way those are talked about in some of their churches completely alienated these young people. So it stands to reason that if you're going to try to connect with young people, you know, you're going to be a church that's not going to, you know, you're going to try to understand what are the values and where are these kids coming from. And it's not that you're taking a survey to decide what your values are, but you're trying to listen. You're trying to engage with them. You're not, you're not pushing them away by, by how you approach these issues, but instead you're engaging with them, listening to them. We've got to be a church, not we, all churches have to be churches, we too, where what they experience when they come to church and in our homes is love and joy and gentleness and kindness and generosity. And our attitudes about race and inclusion have got to be attitudes that reflect the values these kids have because their values look more like the kingdom of God than sometimes their parents' values do. And so being willing to look at all of these things and say, these are things that are pushing kids away. Are we pushing our kids away from faith? Are we drawing them to faith in Christ? All right, so is the trend reversible? That's one of the big questions. So we see this tremendous trend and this declining you know, number of people who are participating in church and claiming to be Christians, and, and especially among young adults, 48% of, of uh, Gen Zs who have walked away from faith. So is that reversible? And I wanna say yes and no. Across America, there are a lot of churches that have no children or youth left in them. And those churches are gonna to struggle to be able to turn that around. Some can, but many of them will not be able to do that. And we know there's a lot of very small churches that are likely to close in the next 10, 15, 20 years. We see that every single year in America. Last year, I think there were 3000 churches that were started and 4,500 churches that closed last year in America. But the numbers are gonna be much more dramatic than that in the years to come. Based upon the average age of many of the churches in America, small churches, 20, 30, 40, 50 people a Sunday in worship. So uh, there is going to be, there will be tens of thousands of churches over the next three decades that are gonna close. But there's gonna be 100,000, 200,000 churches that are gonna still be around. And in those churches, there's an opportunity to reach today's young people, children, youth, and adults. And I wanna talk about that 
for just a little bit. Those churches are going to be important. And the fact that the church is important. So we could say, what difference does it make if kids aren't involved in church, if young people are not involved in church anymore? So there's a lot of different answers to that. I'm going to say just some very pragmatic ones. And that is when people are not going to church anymore, not affiliated with the faith community that's going to love and welcome them, we find a rise in the things we're finding currently in our society, a rise in social isolation. We learned about this a few weeks ago. The U.S. Surgeon General said this is the most critical issue in America today, a rise in social isolation, a rise in loneliness, a rise of anxiety and depression among young adults. These are critical issues. Suicide rates, all of these things, when we don't have a community that we belong to that loves us, when we don't feel like we have support, when we're not, we don't feel like we have a faith that helps us and sustains us when life is hard. Faith in Christ offers us meaning. It offers us hope, purpose, unconditional love, and a clear set of values or guidance for our lives. It calls us to be less selfish and more selfless, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to trust in God, that God is with us all the time. And when we don't have that, or we say, well, I, I kind of believe that stuff, but you don't have a faith community that's helping you in that. It's very hard to continue to find a deep and growing faith. And there's pain that comes from that. And there's isolation and brokenness. And, and then there are people in the social service sector who are saying, we're worried about what America looks like in the future because so many of our volunteers are coming from churches. So many of the people who donate to our causes are, are Christian people who learn generosity from their faith communities, who, who give generously, sacrificially because of their faith. What happens when we no longer have you know, a large number of people who are actively involved in their faith, participating in these social service agencies or, or giving of themselves in service to other people. And it's not that non-religious people don't do that. It's just that they don't do it at the same level as religious people. There are studies out of Harvard and, and a whole host of other places, uh, USC and California and, and others, where they have looked to see what causes human flourishing. And one of the things they've found, these are secular universities who have said, one of the things that causes uh, flourishing for human beings is being a part of a faith community. And there's a whole lot of things that are values or benefits aside from the, you know, the, from the strictly spiritual ideas. But, but we know when people are involved in a faith community, it reduces the chance of them being heavy drinkers. It reduces the chance of smoking. It reduces the risk of loneliness, anxiety, and depression. These are, these are studies done by Harvard. Reduces the, the, the incidence of suicidal thoughts. It lowers the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer mortality among women, and so much more. Going to church makes you healthier physically. It helps alleviate the stress, the anxiety that, that contributes to heart disease and a whole host of other things. You've got support groups as you get older. You've got support groups that are caring for you. And so, so what happens when you miss out on that? We need these things, which is why I have hope for the church in the future. There's going to be a lot of churches that aren't going to make it, but I believe that human beings are basically spiritual creatures. So we have a, a yearning, as some have said, a God-shaped you know, hole in our hearts where we're yearning for God and we're yearning for community and so I think church is going to be okay if we remember who we are and if we reflect the love of Christ. When we do that, people are drawn to people who love them. It's interesting. People don't come to faith. I've said this many times before. People don't come to faith because of our superior theological arguments. They come to faith in Jesus first because somebody loved them in the church. When they came, they felt welcomed and cared for. They felt their children were welcomed and cared for. It was, it was that sense of belonging. And then in the midst of that, coming to see, well, why do these people believe what they believe? And and then you find that that belonging comes from our belonging to Christ and experiencing the love of God. And all of that leads us to a deeper faith. It's interesting. One of the studies found that 51% of all people who have become de-churched have said, I would go back to church, or there's a likelihood I'd go back to church if a friend invited me. That's interesting. So there's hope here that a lot of those people who become de-churched would go back to church if a friend invited them. If they came to a church and it felt like there was a good pastor and there were people, these were all answers that came from the survey. It felt like there was a people there who loved them and embraced them. It felt like a church that wanted to make a difference in the world and the community around it. 
you know, they, they found a message that was meaningful and compelling to them, they would come back to church. But somebody's got to ask. All right, in 2019, so one other piece of this is the importance of having ministries de- dedicated to and focused on uh, children and youth and young adults. And so in 2019 here at Resurrection, we, we set a series of goals for the really visions for the decade from 2019 to, uh, to, excuse me, from 2020 to 2030. We called these our closing the gap visions. There are four of them. And one of those had to do with closing the generation gap. It said, as we looked at this, we recognize that, that communities of faith grow older. And if they're not intentional about focusing resources, time, talent, and resources on children and young adults, as people age out and they no longer have children and teenagers in the youth programs or the children's programs, they stop volunteering. They stop caring quite so much about what's happening in those programs. And what we said was, we have to care. We have to care even if they are not our children, even if they're somebody else's children, we have to care because this is a mandate from God to pass on the faith to future generations. And that, fa- that future generation, those kids who are not ours, but they live all around us, if there's not adults who care about them, if they're not you know, older adults who are saying this matters, we lose them. And when we lose them, it's very hard to get them back. And so those churches who care deeply about this are gonna find that they're, and, and they're the kind of welcoming, loving communities. They're gonna find that, that children and teenagers and their families are interested in becoming a part of those faith communities, less so than in years past, but still interested if you're that kind of church. It's interesting, I was reading an article this week, by the way, so there's that. They're starting new faith communities. Uh, new churches reach new and younger people. And we found that here at Resurrection, every one of our new locations is reaching new and younger people. And that's very exciting for us. So, uh, and then raising up young leaders. So you're raising up young leaders who are going to be in leadership, not for tomorrow's church, but for today's church. And all of these are things that we committed to as a congregation in 2019 from the years 2020 to 2030. And I wanna tell you a little more about what we've done since then. But first I wanna share with you an article that I read this week. It was an interview with a man who started a business in Texas called Church Realty and all they do is sell churches. Can you imagine that? I mean, there's a business out there. There's an entire real estate company just devoted to selling churches because there's so many churches that are being sold because they're closing. And so they're being sold to police departments or, or libraries or schools or, or people are turning some of them into houses. And so, so this is one of the things he said though. He said, if the church ages and doesn't reach young people or the demographic changes and they don't figure out how to reach the new demographic, that church ends up closing. Now, this is his assessment working with all these churches that have closed. Yes, there's financial pressure pressure that, the, that will close a church, but oftentimes it's more that they didn't figure out how to change when the community changed. Or listen, they didn't have enough young people to continue the congregation for the next generation. I mean, if a church doesn't figure this out, if older adults like me and like some of you don't figure out that we've got to care about kids who are not our own, the church has no future which is exactly what Moses was saying. It's exactly what the the psalmist was saying. We've got to care about this. All right, so at Resurrection, what I love about this church is we are not a church solely focused on, you'll go to churches where it's only young people who are there or it's only older people who are there. But here at Resurrection, we are a congregation for multiple generations. We have the silent generation here and they play an important role. We have a lot of baby boomers here and they play an important role. And the Gen Xers are here and the, the millennials are here and the Gen Z and the alpha generation. And we are a church that needs each other. Last year or a year and a half ago, I went to visit with our young adult ministry. And as I was visiting with some of the leaders in the young adult program, uh, I said, you know, tell me what, what it is that you're yearning for here at Resurrection. They said, we're yearning to have uh, older adult mentors 
you know, we love being around older people who are going to mentor us and encourage us, not our parents, but we're looking for other people, you know, old people like you, Pastor Adam. <laughs> and I had to laugh. I'm like, when did I become an old person? But, but, you know, they were kidding around a little bit, but the idea was that we want people with gray hair. We want people who will mentor us and encourage us in our faith and in our lives and have been around the block a few times, but who will also respect us and value us and see us as full participants in the church and not just young people. All right, so I wanna tell you what's happened since 2019 when we set this goal, this 2030 vision. So we began, we said, we're gonna start new locations. And uh, in 2019, we started our next new location. That's Resurrection Elvin Park. And in 2022, December, 2022, just last December, we started another new location in Brookside. Here's a, a photographs of these two buildings. There's a Resurrection Brookside here. And in the previous photograph, if you go back to it, that's Resurrection Overland Park. And these were churches that were declining, that they were churches that had you know, worked through that life cycle and, uh, and had not you know, been able to reach those younger generations. And so we've gone in there and now we have tons of children and tons of young families who are in there. And it's really, really exciting, both at Resurrection Overland Park and at Resurrection Brookside. I think there were like seven children on an average weekend at Resurrection Brookside. And today there's something like 60 or 70 kids who are there. And it's so fun to watch and see what's happening. And I just am so thankful for the members of those two congregations, Valley View and Central, who said, you know what, let's have a new future. Let's, let's, let's start again and let's have a resurrection and let's see what can happen. And amazing things are happening in those congregations. And we have three more that we hope to start over the next four years. Very, very exciting. Then we said, we're gonna really focus on raising up young leaders, people who are under 35, who are going to be not leaders in the future, but leaders today. And so we have a mentoring program where older adults are mentoring younger adults. And, and then after a year of going through that program, uh, we invite them to get engaged and involved in a whole host of different ministries in the church. And we take them on a trip to the Holy Land. You help subsidize us. We pay half their way. And I had a chance to lead them in February on this trip. Here's a, a photograph of our group in Jerusalem. As, uh, and as you look at that group, these are people with so much potential and so many of them are already saying, I'm serving, I'm involved. They're, they're, you know, they're engaged in what's happening at the church. Two of them have already started seminary. I'm very excited about this. That's really awesome. These are our leaders now and into the future. Then we said, we're gonna focus on children's ministries and we're gonna do everything we can to build up our children's ministries. We'd watch, you know, as our congregation aged, we'd watch our number of children in vacation Bible camp going down. Well, this year we had a, a record for the last, I think maybe the last 10 years, we had 1,550 kids who were involved in vacation Bible camp. It was amazing, it was awesome. And, and that was across all of our locations. This is a photograph of the shaving cream fight on the last night. Many of you remember seeing these pictures. And as you look at this, uh, this image of, you know, at one of our locations, the shaving cream fight, that night there were people who we said to the kids, invite your friends. In fact, really for vacation Bible camp, it's like, invite your friends, invite them to come. If they don't go to church, we'd love for them to come here. And, and so we had kids who were coming who'd never been to our church before, their families showing up at that last night, an opportunity for them to grow in their faith, for them to say, this is a community that loves our kids and loves us and we wanna be a part of that. And it has been exciting to watch our Sunday school uh, attendance is going up. Our, our kids program, midweek kids program is going up, recovering from COVID and a lot of exciting things that are happening in our children's ministries right now. Uh, I think about what's happening in our student ministries. So when it comes to our student ministries, we began a focus on finding, when we had a position open up, we did nationwide searches to find people who were outstanding practitioners of student ministries across the country who had a vision like our vision to be the kind of church we are and to reach as many teenagers as possible. And so we had staff members who came from three different, four different states, I think, who came to join us and joined our existing staff. And they've done a great job. They work, some of them across all of our locations. And I wanted to give you a sense of what's been happening in our 
our student ministries. So, uh, so as we look at this, these are photographs of our student ministries across our locations. So this was the kickoff just, just uh, two weeks ago. This is our kickoff at Resurrection West and the number of kids in our youth program, middle school and high schoolers out there. These are some of the kids. This is just not even half the kids who are at Resurrection Downtown. We had 43 that night for our launch at Resurrection Downtown in downtown Kansas City where there aren't supposed to be teenagers who are hanging out. But these, I mean, nobody thinks that there are teenagers who are part of a church that would be in downtown Kansas City. But 43, 43 at Res Downtown. This is, uh, this is Resurrection Blue Springs. And look at these kids, 24 kids who showed up for our kickoff at one of the lakes in Blue Springs. I can't remember if this is Lottawana or which one it is, but and an awesome group of kids who are at Resurrection Blue Springs. This is our kids at Resurrection Overland Park. And this is a student room there. And, and, you know, kids kicking off our student program that night. And really a great group of kids. These are, we're just kicking off. We just started Resurrection Brookside. And these are some of the kids, some of the teenagers who are at Resurrection Brookside and starting into confirmation right now, which will give birth then to our youth group at Resurrection Brookside. And this is at Resurrection uh, Leewood. And so, of course, we have the largest number of people here. This was the kickoff of Sunday school just a couple of weeks ago with over 300 teenagers who showed up plus their parents. And then that night, or I think it was the next Sunday night, we had another 300 plus kids who were here then. There's over 400, 500 kids who are actively coming to participating in one or more of our programs at Leewood. You add them all, to, all together and we have close to 600 teenagers who are actively involved in our programs today. That's way up from where we were before and very, very exciting. And what it says is this can happen. It is possible to create ministries and programs that draw teenagers back to Christ or into the church and their parents, and they get excited about their faith, and then they become the best evangelists because they, they've experienced the love of Christ in a community, and they want to tell their friends. And they know that a lot of their friends no longer go to church. When I went to school, you know, probably half my friends went to, well, most of my friends, but half the kids in my school went to church. That's not the case anymore. And so this is a very, very exciting time. I wanted you to have a chance to hear from some of those teenagers. So this week I got together six teenagers who have been at every one of, you know, each one had been at a different one of our youth groups. Some of them had been at a couple of them, but all six of our campuses or locations are represented. And uh, perhaps not Brooks, yes, even Brookside. So I thought you might enjoy hearing them. And when I sat down with them, what I came away with was great hope for the future of the church and a deep desire to want to do whatever we can to support our student ministries. Take a listen. At my school, a lot of people have a bad vision of what they think the church is. So, and I love to share about all the fun that we have on Wednesdays and Sundays. So I finally was able to get my best friend Ella to come and she loved it. And now she comes every single week and on Wednesdays and Sundays. And then I have like a few other friends who often come. One texted me wanting to come this Wednesday. She just gotten away from the church and she saw all the fun we had at the Color Wars and I'm super excited. It means the world to me. It means community, it means family, it means friends. It means a place that I can feel safe and welcomed. To me, youth group just kind of means like a home. On October of last year, I ended up finding resurrection and it's definitely become a church home. I'm really happy to be here. For confirmation, I got baptized and that moment, oh my gosh. That moment is like one of the greatest moments of my life. Like I can't describe to you the amount of joy that I felt like coming out of the water, it was really awesome. No matter what you're feeling, you'll always come out like feeling better from youth group. Me and a lot of my friends have gone through similar phases of, you know, depression and just dark times. And while I turned to youth group and my walk in faith, a lot of my friends have turned to other coping mechanisms that aren't as beneficial and aren't healthy. I would tell my friends that they should come to youth group because if you need a place where when you walk in the door, all the weight can be lifted off your shoulders because you're there to worship God and He is there to help take that weight off of your shoulders and to just relieve you of any stress or anything that could be going on in your life and just give you even one night where you can hang out with your friends, 
talk to somebody, worship, eat food, play games, <laughs> do whatever it is, and you'll leave just feeling completely, completely rejuvenated. And I feel like Resurrection does a really good job of like coming in and like you're accepted just as you are. So it's really important that we make sure that everyone is welcome because that's that's what Jesus wants everyone to be welcome. I think like Resurrection, like like they've been saying, we do a really good job like really showing what like church is, what love is, what God is, and knowing that like it's a safe place. I would say if you're just looking for a place where people will love you unconditionally and just give you so many amazing resources and so many amazing tools to like help you grow in your faith journey, like that's where you need to be. If you have middle school students or high school students in your household and they're not coming to youth group, you might need to give them a gentle push. <laughs> I remember my mom did, and at first I was like, you know, oh, like I don't, I don't want to come to youth group. You know, I don't know anybody. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, an outcast. I don't belong. And it took a very, very short amount of time for me to realize that, you know, this is my family, and I did belong. We're the next generation of the church, so I think having a space where we know what it's like to like be loved by God and to love others is really important for us. These kids were awesome. I mean, it was so fun to listen to them. And inside what I felt like, first you need to know, there's 600 others like that here at Resurrection. But what I felt was, I wanna do everything we can to help these kids be able to invite their friends. I wanna do whatever it takes to be able to help them feel support and love. I want to do whatever we need to do to create the right spaces for these kids to be engaged in ministry and in our programs and to graduate from high school, ready to serve God for the rest of their lives, engaged in their faith for the rest of their lives. That's part of what ours is to do today at Church of the Resurrection. I'm excited about this. Our children, our teenagers, our young adults, and, and engaging them and helping them find a, a faith that transforms their lives and a community that holds them together and that loves them well. That's what we're seeking to do over these next 10 years. So here's what I want you to know. This is my aim for preaching this sermon and it, it ties into everything we're doing these next four weeks. The first is I wanted to help you remember that we are called to pass on our faith to future generations. Whether you have children or not, this is our task. It is our goal is to pass on our faith to future generations. There was somebody who, who was uh, working with one of our kids in their 80s and said, I feel so much hope. You know, I don't have any kids myself, but this young person makes me feel alive watching what God is doing in their life. We are all called to do this. The second thing I wanted to do was raise the sense of urgency that you feel. I desperately want you to feel the urgency of what's happened when Christianity has declined from 92% of the people who were actively you know, claiming a faith in Christ to 63% today, from the time we started the church to today. I want you to think about the fact that 48% of millennial or of, of Gen Z are saying, I am not a part of a church. I am not, I, I don't claim any religious affiliation. I want you to think about what happens for these kids and what we can do to be the church for them. This is so, so important. Then I want you to understand that this month, the end of this month, you'll be turning in your annual stewardship campaign card. If you're a member of this church or you consider this your church family, Every year we invite our members to pray about what am I gonna to give to God's work through this ministry in the coming year. And at the end of the month, it's gonna be Pledge Sunday. We're gonna invite you to fill out your annual stewardship, your ministry fund pledge card. And when you do that, I want you to know this, you are making possible all of this. You're making possible our senior adult ministries that happen every day. You're making possible our care ministries. You're making possible our counseling ministries. You're making possible worship in all of these locations. You make possible our ministry for adults, our adult discipleship, our support groups. You make possible our Matthews ministry but I also want you to know our ministry for special needs young people. I want you to know though that you also make possible our student ministries and our children's ministries. 
And without you and without your support, we cannot do what happens here. This does not happen by some magic grant. It happens by people who say, this matters to me. And God has called me to care about these kids and these teenagers, these children, and everything else that happens in this church. And so I'm going to invite you between now and then, you're going to turn in your pledge card in a couple of weeks if this is your church. But I want you to be thinking about what is God calling me to give? And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. The last thing I want you to know is this month we embark on a capital campaign because we began to assess all of our facilities and said, in our facilities, are we ready? Do we have the right facilities for the number of children we have and will be coming for the number of teenagers we have and what we needed to be doing with those teenagers? What can we do? What do we need to do to create even better spaces for these kids? We found at one location, we didn't have enough classrooms for children. We're gonna build three new classrooms. At another location, two locations, they had no student ministry space, only the kids ministry space. And so we're gonna be creating those children's ministry spaces. You know, in another one of the locations, they needed a great playground. In another one, they needed a way to, you know, as you walk in the door to feel welcome and immediately find where you're going and here at Resurrection Leewood, our student ministry space hadn't been renovated in 18 years. And so we had kids, teenagers on the building committee helping to design that space and other things that we're gonna do around here. And we're gonna do all of that, we hope and pray, debt-free. When we go to do that, it's gonna require that Resurrection members who are committed to this ministry are gonna say, I wanna help with that. I wanna be a part of that. So I wanna encourage you, you're gonna be having a chance to hear more about the plans next weekend. So plan if you're a part of one of our locations, and you're, you're online today or on TV, if you're a part of one of our locations, go to your location next week. If you're sitting at one of our lake locations, make sure that you're there next week so that you have a chance. I'm gonna be preaching part of the sermon. Your location pastor is gonna be preaching part of the sermon and sharing the plans. Very exciting for what's gonna happen at your location. I do not want you to miss that. So plan to be a part of that next week. And if online is your regular place of worship and you're not affiliated with any of our locations, then join us online or on TV. And I'm gonna be sharing with you both plans we have for online and expanding that, but also what's gonna be happening at our Leewood location. So I don't want you to miss it next week. I want you to be a part of that. It is very, very exciting. All right, so here's where I wanna close. Uh, two years ago, my granddaughter gave me this little bracelet and you can see it in the photograph here. Uh, she gave it to me for my birthday and, and said, Papa, I love you and I made this for you. And, and I wear it every day. I never take it off. It's always on my hands in the shower. When I sleep at night, I said, Stella, I'm gonna wear this until you're 16 years old. Now she was seven at the time. And she said, Papa, it's not gonna last for nine more years. And I said, it may not, but hopefully it will. And when I look at it, I'm reminded of how much I love you and what you mean to me. And, and out of that came this idea that we might give you bracelets. And these bracelets would be a way of remembering just for this month. You don't have to wear it forever. Just for this month, we'd like for you to wear one of these bracelets as a way of reminding you of the needs of our children and how much God loves them and our teenagers and our young adults. And, and so you might be praying for our children's ministry, for our student ministries, for what's happening in all of our locations. And so you'll have a chance to pick up as you're walking out the door if you're one of our locations or you're gonna go to court.org next to find out more about how you can receive one of these uh, if you live outside of Kansas City. But one of these bracelets, we'd like for you to take it and to be able to put it on your arm. And for the next month, cinch it up. And for the next month to be able to remember our kids, our children, the future generations, and even those yet to be born, and for you to be praying for them. If somebody sees it and asks, what's that for? You can say, you know, our church is focusing on children and youth and the next generation, and I'm praying for them every single day. I'd like to, be invite, to invite you to be part of that and then to be praying about, you know, your commitment this year, and then to be praying about what is it that God's calling you to do to be a part of helping us create these spaces for our kids. Here's some pictures, by the way, these were prayed for. Every one of these was prayed over by one of our children here at the church. Take a look at these pictures. I just thought they were touching to watch them pray over these bracelets that you're gonna be wearing. The next picture, you see three of these children uh, praying over a handful of these bracelets. And then finally, the last one, three more kids. And I love the thought that there's a child who prayed over your bracelet that God would bless you 
and you're gonna be praying for them every day this month. All right, I want you to listen carefully to the words of the Psalm once more. God commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know his commands, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. Listen, resurrection. Let's teach our children well. Would you pray with me? God, we do pray for the children in this congregation and the children in the communities around us. Some of us live outside of Kansas City, some of us in Kansas City, but we pray for the children and the teenagers in our communities who don't know you, who are not involved in a church family. We pray that we might live our lives in such a way as their neighbors, aunts and uncles, as their parents or grandparents, that they see your light shining through us And we pray that in all of our locations and online, we can be a church community for families, for children, for teenagers, that their lives might be changed, transformed by the love that they find here, your love and our love. Guide us this next month as we seek to be a church for these generations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.